Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Sonia, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Joys and Challenges of Pets in Your Home When You Have Cancer. And I have to say, this is the first time we've offered this program. So in doing this program for 30 years, this is the very first time, but it's not the last time. And it's a program that is really important to all of you on the call today. Um, and um, this is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And um, we have on the call today over 424 participants. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we also have international participants from Canada, India, and the United Kingdom. So a bit of a global call as well. And um, we're delighted that you've all joined us today uh, for the launch of this new program. And actually, this program, this activity, is supported by the Patricia A. O'Callaghan Animal Care Foundation. And I really want to thank them for really supporting this program today and really giving us the opportunity to launch this program. So I really want to thank them um, as donors for this program today. Now, we have wonderful speakers on the program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Kristen Nelson. Dr. Nelson is a veterinarian. She's, owner and author, she's author and owner of Arizona Skies Animal Hospital. And Dr. Nelson will be addressing an overview of the human-animal bond, guidelines to follow in caring for your pet, and helping your pets avoid infection. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Nelson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for that nice introduction. Um, yes, the human-animal bond is a wonderful, innate connection that people share with animals. The American Veterinary Medical Association defines it as a mutually beneficial and dynamic relationship between people and animals that is influenced by behaviors are essential to the health and well-being of both. Quite a mouthful. That's why I just think of it as an innate connection. And this innate connection will cause chemical changes in our body that's actually good for us that helps us live a more healthy and a more fulfilled life. It also helps the animals, so it's mutually beneficial, which that's what I'm all about. I really like to um, have things that work well for the people as well as the animals. Now, um, I'm going to give you some guidelines on how to care for your pet when you have cancer and also how you can keep them healthy. And I know a lot of these from personal experience because I myself is a, am a cancer survivor. In 2010, I hadn't been feeling well when my cat, now I have many cats and dogs and birds and all kinds of critters, but my cat jumped up in bed with me and he started to sniff me. And when he got to my abdomen, he hissed and tried to cover me with a sheet. Well, lo and behold, I had cancer. And so I joke that I had my first CAT scan at home. But I tell this story because I only knew to pay attention to what my cat was telling me because of all the stories people told me in the exam room. I live in Arizona where there's a lot of melanoma from the sunshine, and many, many animals have diagnosed melanoma by licking or scratching the area. But I want to emphasize that this is just an indicator, and not all animals will do this. 
So it's not a substitute for getting good medical care from your physicians and your team of people helping you through cancer. But they are a great, the pets are a great help when you are going through, especially the bad times. And I remember laying in bed thinking, I just can't go through with this anymore. Because my cancer, I had chemotherapy that they'd blast me in the hospital for a week and then I'd go home to recover. And this went on for four months. And when I was really sick, really feeling like I just couldn't do it anymore, this little cat would lay by my head, put his paw on my face, and purr. And those chemical changes occurred that made me feel better. So I really think it's important that you do keep your pets close by, but here are just a few guidelines that will help you. First, it's important to take your pet to the vet ahead of time and make sure they're healthy, they're up-to-date on their vaccines, and they're on their um, parasite prevention protocols. Um, that would be your heartworm preventatives. Usually it's a monthly. or um, And also have a fecal check to look for parasites. And then the other thing that's really critical for your pet is to make sure they still keep exercising. We always say that bored pets get into trouble and tired pets are happy pets. And so we really want you to keep them exercising. And that might mean bringing in a pet nanny who can take them out for walks but it's important that you keep them going. Now, in order to protect them when you're going through chemotherapy, there are a few little things that you need to be aware of. Um, first, when you come home from the hospital, I recommend you leave your shoes or any medical facility. Leave your shoes at the door because you could be carrying in, you know, MRSA or something like that. Um, I know the hospitals do their best to stay clean, but just in case, MRSA is a reverse zoonotic that can infect your pets. And once in a while, I do have to treat it. So when you get home from any healthcare facility, and this is what I did, I put my shoe, left my shoes at the door, I changed clothes and washed really well before I touched my pets. On top of that, um, if you have a pet scan, they will, when you leave, they will give you directions to avoid contact with small children and other humans for up to six hours afterwards. You should also include your pet in that. We don't want your pets laying on your lap for five hours absorbing radiation. So make sure you avoid that. Um, this is a little bit, well, I'll just go for it. Keep your toilet lids closed. We don't want them drinking water out of the toilets because you might be excreting um, some of the drugs and things that you're on. So we don't want them exposed to that. And also keep your medications really well locked up. Because once in a while, if you're tipping out a pill bottle and something goes flying across the, the floor, a pet might pick it up. And um, one Advil can kill a cat by causing anemia. I've had um, patients get into all kinds of different things, so just be careful with that. Um, let's see, what else? Um, oh, another one is that if you're having home health um, care or a lot of visitors, make sure that they keep the doors closed because we have a lot of accidental escapes during this time because, um, you know, people aren't used to the um, normal routine of the home. They might leave a gate open. They might leave a door open. And then we have a, a escape that, you know, we really don't want. So those are just some of the big things. You have to remember that you're going to be going through a lot if you're having um, cancer and, you're, you know, their company is going to really help you. 
Um, they're there with you all the time. Even, you know, if you're up in the middle of the night and the rest of your family is sleeping, they're going to be there with you, um, purring or, you know, just looking at you and keeping you company. And so we have to do everything possible to keep them healthy and also to establish a routine because they're going to be worrying about you. Most of these pets, they're so good at watching us. They just pick up things so quickly. They know when you're not happy. They know when you're struggling. So let them in on it. Be honest with them. And um, also um, just follow a few of these precautionary things to keep them healthy. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. That was really wonderful, a wonderful introduction to the call. And um, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. So thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is Ms. Sharon Flynn. Um, Ms. Flynn is a nurse, um, and she's a nurse educator, research and practice development, National Institutes of Health, uh, Nat Clinical Research Center. And Ms. Flynn is going to be addressing how a pet brings comfort, joy, emotional, social, and practical support to you, keeping your pets healthy, both before you start treatment and during your treatment, and tips to reduce your risk of infection from pets. So it's now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Flynn. Oh, great. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be on the call today. I would also like to take the opportunity to welcome all of our participants who are on the call. Whether you're a person living with cancer, a caregiver, a healthcare provider, you recognize what a great source of comfort and support pets can be during cancer treatment. And thank you, Dr. Nelson, for providing an overview of the animal-human bond, how pets bring comfort, joy, and support to us, and how to manage your cancer treatment side effects and still take care of your pet. As Dr. Messner um, reviewed, I'm going to talk about um, uh, a couple of things. First, I'm going to talk to you about the guidelines to follow when caring for your pet during chemotherapy or immunotherapy. And the first one is to try and avoid any bites and scratches. Puppies and kittens are notorious for biting and scratching as they're learning which behaviors are okay and which ones we would hope that they would not repeat. Um, but unfortunately, bites and scratches can become infected when you're receiving chemotherapy or immunotherapy. What might start out as a simple scratch can turn into a life-threatening event for a person receiving chemotherapy. So to help prevent this from occurring, trim your pet's claws. If your pet does scratch or bite you, be sure to wash the area with soap and water for at least three minutes. And then closely monitor your skin for any redness, tenderness, swelling, or drainage. Depending on your treatment regimen that you're receiving, your body might not be able to produce pus or white blood cells to fight that infection. And so the redness, swelling, tenderness, and maybe a fever might be your only signs that the bite has become infected. And if that does happen, please contact your healthcare team as soon as possible, even if this means calling someone on a Friday night at midnight. Um, it can be life-threatening. Next is to avoid pet urine and feces. Just like you want to avoid scrubbing your toilet during chemotherapy, you should avoid cleaning the litter box or picking up feces. If you must clean up after your pet, be sure to wear gloves and to wash your hands with soap and water for three minutes afterwards. While a hand sanitizer is convenient, it won't kill all the germs associated with pet urine and pet feces, so you want to make sure that you wash your hands each and every time. If you have a partner, friend, 
relative, someone that could perform this task for you, please ask them to handle this chore. And remember to keep your litter boxes away from food preparation areas or places where people um, eat um, or prepare food. Tip number three, washing your hands again with soap and water after playing with or caring for your pet. Um, we definitely want you to, to pet your, your, your animals, um, but if you're going to prepare food um, or eat food, then we um, want your hands to be washed. Pets can transmit diseases like fungal infections and other conditions if you don't wash your hands after handling them. Next, uh, try not to allow your pet uh, to lick your mouth, any open wounds or cuts. Just like uh, pet bites and scratches, pets can transmit diseases by licking your wounds, cuts, um, or licking your nose or anything on your face. So please, if you come in a contact with, if your pet licks you um, on your face, then get the soap and water and wash that area. And next, um, try and have pets avoid areas where they've had, where you've applied a medicinal cream. Um, it could be like a sports cream or it could be one of your chemotherapy creams um, for your treatment. We want to make sure that your pet isn't licking that area and then accidentally being exposed to that medicine. And we want to uh, have your pet uh, stay clean and healthy. Your pet should receive a regular bath and regular checkups with the veterinarian. Make sure that they're up to date on their vaccinations. And at any time, if your pet looks or acts sick, then take them immediately to the veterinarian or ask someone to take the, um, your pet to the veterinarian. Um, I know it's easy to forget that monthly heartworm prevention or any flea and tick prevention, um, it's hard when you're not going through treatment for your cancer, um, let alone when you're juggling many other things during your cancer treatment. But don't let this fall off your list of things that need to be done. It's okay to delegate a task like this um, to a relative or maybe a neighbor um, to remind you or to set up a reminder on your phone or maybe your email to remind you or your loved one that it's time for the preventative medicine for your pet. And try not to allow your pet to play outside with any wild or stray animals, any sick animals, or any new animals that you're unsure are under veterinarian care. Please keep them on a leash or under close supervision when they are outside. And it's um, easy to have our medications piled up on a table or on our nightstand. Um, sometimes our pets can reach these areas. So remember to store all of your medication out of the reach of your pets. Um, most dogs can quickly chew through a bottle um, and get to that medicine inside before you can practically snap your fingers. And if your pet does ingest your medicine, please contact not only your veterinarian as soon as possible, but also, also your healthcare team to get that medicine replaced for you so that you don't miss any doses of your important medicine. And next, some tips to reduce your infection um, from pets. So um, we traditionally think of pets as cats or dogs, but we know that they come in all sorts of sizes and shapes. And so I'm going to talk just a minute about some of our other pets. Um, now isn't the time to bring home a new pet. Um, if you can defer that to later um, after your cancer treatment, that would be um, the best. Um, if you have any reptiles, um, be sure that the 
they um, you are washing your hands as you don't want to pass salmonella um, from touching a reptile um, and then maybe touching a food preparation area or ingesting it um, by um, rubbing your eyes or eating something immediately after. Um, the same goes true for chickens and ducks and um, for rodents and then also for pet pockets, um, uh, pocket pets, I'm sorry, like hamsters, gerbils, mice, guinea pigs. Um, be sure that you're washing your hands after contact with them. For fish and frogs, um, as long as you aren't picking up these animals um, or cleaning their tank, it is absolutely okay, and we encourage you to observe them. Um, they're wonderful animals to have around the house. And finally, I want to wrap up by discussing for a moment or two about communicating with your healthcare team, um, which also includes your veterinarian, about your well-being and your pet's well-being. So when um, you go to your healthcare team next, tell them, if you haven't already, that you have pets at home, uh, um, what type of pet that you have or pets, their age, and any healthcare conditions that your pet might have. Ask them if there are any special precautions that you might need to take um, that are specific to your type of cancer. For example, if you're undergoing a bone marrow transplant, you may have different precautions than someone who is undergoing treatment for lung cancer or colon cancer. Most times, this is the length of time that you need to follow the guidelines that I just highlighted, um, but sometimes it depends on the, um, the type of treatment that you have, that maybe you have to follow these guidelines not just for a month or two longer, but maybe for six months at a time. And also notify your veterinarian if you have cancer and ask them if there's any special precautions with your pet that you may need to take. For example, if your pet is receiving a live vaccination while you're undergoing chemotherapy, you may not be the best person to take um, your pet to that particular uh, veterinarian visit. So ask your veterinarian ahead of time if it's safe for you to um, go with your pet to a pet um, a pet appointment. So in conclusion, pets are fantastic support, especially during difficult times like cancer treatment. I hope that these tips equip you with the knowledge you need to keep you and your pet safe during your cancer treatment. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today about the challenges of having a pet in your home when you have cancer. I wish you all the very, very best response to your cancer treatment and with your pet being just one of your support network during the process. So, Dr. Messner, I'd now like to turn the presentation back over to you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Sun. That was really wonderful, really wonderful. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, but just really covered a lot of information, um, and I think this is really helpful to everybody, so thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Lydia Shapira. Uh, Dr. Shapiro is Associate Professor of Medicine, Stanford School of Medicine, Director, Cancer Survivorship Program, Stanford Cancer Institute. Dr. Shapiro is going to be addressing communicating with the healthcare team, key questions to ask your healthcare team, including your oncologist, primary care doctor, and veterinarian, about your pets and your well-being. It's really now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Shapiro. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner. What a pleasure to be on this novel program. I uh, must identify myself as an animal lover. I've lived with dogs, and I strongly um, feel for that incredible connection. 
Um, most of my experience in giving advice or working with patients has been that my patients have had cats, dogs, and horses. So I don't know a whole lot about rodents, but I'm glad there are people who are paying attention to all of these wonderful creatures. We know, for instance, that um, there are incredible health benefits to just receiving that that incredible connection and love with uh, animals, and that is why many cancer centers now have pet therapy programs. We bring animals to the bedside uh, of patients who are seriously ill, and we witness there the enormous connection and everything that an animal can give to a person who is ill, and these aren't um, necessarily animals that anyone has met before, but even a, an animal who just has that capacity to give so much love or whatever emotion we're talking about can have a beneficial effect. So just think about the connection with an animal who knows you, who's really connected to you and who can in some ways even let you know some of the things that are going on either in your body or your emotional life that you may not even be so aware of. So as a medical oncologist who does not understand very much about the science but certainly can um, bear witness to the impact of this um, person and uh, pet connection, let me just share a few things I've learned. One is that it's important to talk about the animals that matter to you and that are in your life with your healthcare team. And that was just mentioned by uh, Ms. Flynn in her remarks. It's important to tell your nurse and oncologist uh, that you actually are caring for an animal. Perhaps you're caring for many animals. Uh, many households these days have plenty of animals, and if there are lots of children and lots of animals, it's important to understand who's primarily responsible for the health of each animal. It's not necessarily a one-on-one, -on -one, a dyadic relationship. So from the physician's point of view, I would say that um, understanding the role these animals play in your life helps us understand how they impact on the quality of your life. And we've talked many times on these programs about the importance of understanding that cancer often affects the whole person and that we need to think about ways of attending to all of the different domains that make life special. So animals can be wonderful in taking you outside and helping you exercise. Animals can be wonderful and I'm thinking about dogs right now, in getting you out of bed when you don't feel very well because they need their walk. So it's important um, to recognize that having animals certain, at certain times also actually helps you, perhaps if you're going through a rough time, to stay disciplined and organized because perhaps you are the source of that animal's food, that animal's exercise, and that animal's well-being. So it really works both ways. So there's a companionship and a social aspect. There's also a beneficial aspect sometimes in that animals are the one uh, reason why many people who are struggling perhaps with feeling fatigue from cancer or feeling deconditioned after cancer treatment actually get outside and walk, and that helps them regain their strength. Um, feeding the animal may also be a reminder that you also need to nourish yourself and to allow you perhaps to be, again, more disciplined about getting the proper nutrients, even when you don't really feel hungry or in food doesn't taste so well. So animals can be uh, incredibly helpful in maintaining a person's mental health 
And it's also important to recognize that if the animal, if caring for the animal becomes a source of stress, then it's time to ask for help. Uh, that's not, uh, it's not fair to you or to your animal if you really feel that you're not in a position of looking after the animal, and this has also been mentioned before. Uh, Dr. Nelson talked about the fact that when she was blasted with chemotherapy, the um, uh, the compassion in, displayed by her animal, by her cat, uh, was sort of restorative in a way and gave her um, a tremendous uh, boost in, in her coping. And that is something that we see often when there is this intense uh, bond with an animal. I had one patient in my practice who um, was a sole caregiver to her dog. And what she worried most about was what would happen to her dog if she needed to be hospitalized. So as you think about your health and your bond and your responsibilities in this caregiving, it's also important to address perhaps who will look after your pet if you are unable to do so for a short period of time or if your routine is interrupted because, as we know, being a cancer patient often um, is associated with unplanned um, emergencies or events that may break up your routine. So what I would um, uh, want to leave you with is that it's uh, it's interesting for us all to reflect in all of the different ways in which this um, human-animal connection can increase the meaning and the quality of our life all of the different ways in which having household animals or uh, animals outside the home, such as in the case of horses, um, takes us uh, to nature, takes us to exercise, and keeps us connected with uh, a lot of life forces that are around us that can be enormously helpful as we're living with and through an illness like cancer, and that it's important to let those who are involved in your medical care know for all of these different reasons, because it matters to you, because it's important to you, and it's also because I think it's important to the animal that you stay healthy and that you have a good plan in case you're not able to look after that animal's health. And with that, I'll turn it right back to you, Dr. Mesner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Shatira. That was really wonderful and just uh, so many important points, and I know, again, there'll be many questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our final speaker is Ms. Victoria Puzo. Ms. Puzo is an oncology social worker, and she is our online support group program manager at Cancer Care. And Ms. Puzo is going to address finding support programs in your area and Cancer Care's free psychosocial programs and services. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Puzo. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. Um, as, as Carolyn said, I'm an oncology social worker with Cancer Care. Um, I provide um, support services to people with cancer and their loved ones. Um, we've been talking a lot today about managing your care and balancing that with also having your pet um, living with you and, and maintaining that connection while you're going through treatment. Um, I just want to take some time to um, talk about some resources that you should think about as well as talk about some of Cancer Care's resources that we have available. Um, the biggest thing to keep in mind is to, um, as has already been said, reach out to your local veterinarian or animal hospital about the best ways to go about um, maintaining your health and your pet's health as you go through treatment. So just make sure you have those connections um, early on in your, in your treatment to make sure that you have all those kind of 
um, things that were talked about earlier, taken care of um, even before you start treatment. Um, as far as cancer care goes, um, we're a national nonprofit organization that provides free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. So that can be caregivers, patients, loved ones, things like that. Um, cancer care programs include individual counseling, either in person at our New York and New Jersey offices or um, telephone um, over the phone nationally. Um, we have support groups in person as well as telephone and online support groups, education programs such as the one you're listening to today, um, as well as some practical help and financial, um, small financial aid grants. Um, all of our services are provided by licensed master's level oncology social workers and are completely free of charge. Um, we're all trained to um, help with managing some of the various effects that a cancer diagnosis brings, um, as well as just kind of like those day-to-day -day, um, challenges that might arise that you might need to kind of talk about and, and work through as you're going through um, the adjustment to going through treatment. Um, as many of you may know, cancer affects the whole person and the entire family, and asking for help um, by joining a group or contacting a social worker um, is a big strength. Um, like everybody has talked about in this presentation today, you don't have to walk through any of this alone, and asking for help is really important, and that can mean reaching out for emotional support or reaching out for practical support, like finding someone that can walk your dog or pick up um, dog food that might be really heavy when you're um, not feeling up to, to carrying those big bags of dog food that I think are um, pretty heavy even when you're not going through some sort of treatment. So um, it's definitely um, normal and okay to feel like you need to ask for more help than usual when you're going through um, your treatment. And it's always um, a, a thing, um, a, a important part to just um, ask for help through individual counseling or finding a support group. But like we've talked about today, even um, just getting some emotional support from your pet can be incredibly helpful while you're going through treatment. Um, if you are interested in any of Cancer Care services, please call our HOPE line at 1-800-813-HOPE or 4673 or visit our um, website at cancercare.org. Um, we are going to be having a program um, launching to support people and their pets while they go through treatment. Um, we've gotten some funding on it so far and hopefully we'll have more information in the coming months um, once that program is officially launched. So um, hopefully all of you will be signing up for our um, email blasts and following us on social media as some um, exciting um, information about that will be coming, um, coming up soon. Um, you've learned a lot today, um, and there's a lot to digest, so if there's ever any time that you want to call our social workers or check out our website, um, please do so, and just remember that you're not alone. Um, thank you for your attention and opportunity with talking with you today. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Susan. That was really wonderful. And, and now we actually have time for questions. We have a lot of time for questions. I want to thank our speakers for all staying on board. So we're going to actually, um, uh, actually, Sonia, if you could bring all of our speakers now um, uh, for the Q&A, and if you could explain to people how to queue up for questions. People are already queuing up who know how to do this, but some people don't. So we're going to ask, um, ask you um, to please give directions, Sonia, to everybody in terms of how to queue up for questions.
Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would if you'd like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to move yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Our first question comes from Stephanie Kay. Your line is now open. Yes, thank you so much. This is such a different education workshop that I never heard this before, and it's actually wonderful. Thank you. I'm a registered nurse and social worker and also a 12-year breast cancer survivor. My question is, I had a friend who passed away from leiomyosarcoma, which is a rare uterine cancer, uterine sarcoma. She had an animal. I don't know if this is possible, if anybody can answer my question. She had a French poodle that got leiomyosarcoma, and I was hearing about that animals, of course, you have to avoid them for infection. But how is that possible? This animal got the same illness after she passed away. I don't know if it was the same time, but is it any way possible the animals can get the same illness that you have, um, breast, ovarian? Is that possible? Even when you're well, going you. through treatment. Thank you. Well, thank you, Stephanie, for that question. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, Dr. Shapiro, do you want to start with that one? Sure. Um, so, to the best of my knowledge, there are no reports and there's no known association uh, between the um, human and pet cancer. So this uh, example that you just bring to our attention is startling, uh, but uh, I don't think that we know what the science is behind it, nor do we know necessarily if it was the correct diagnosis um, for the for both. Uh, so I think it's interesting, but it just has to stay as, as sort of an interesting anecdote. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, and um, we have a question in front of our online participants. Um, and um, so um, this is for Dr. Um, Nelson. My cat tested positive for T. Gandhi in the past. Is this something I need to be concerned about now that my husband has been diagnosed with cancer? Yes, uh, toxoplasma is a GI parasite, and it can come out of the muscle where it encases every once in a while. And so um, it's very important that your husband not deal with the litter box and, you know, avoid the rear end of the cat. Um, it's usually the, the um, eggs are passed out in the feces, and it takes two days, um, even at the, under the quickest conditions kind of depends on temperature and humidity, but it takes two days for those eggs to become the infective larva stage where it could infect him and hurt him. So um, if you, I would recommend cleaning the box at least once a day, and I would keep him away from, you know, anything to do with the feces, and then wash the cat's rear end, you know, maybe like every other day or something, just with water. You don't have to use soap, just even to make sure there's no fecal matter stuck there. Um, and also, all these toxoplasmas, they're very common in raw meats, so be careful about handing, handling raw meats, and um, he shouldn't really do that, and don't get it under the fingernails, because people will wash their hands and forget that maybe they got a little something under there. Um, we deal with this a lot because um, in veterinary medicine, when veterinarians become pregnant, that's a big concern too. So just be very careful about the handling of the feces and even more important, the raw meats. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, wow, these are wonderful questions. And um, I see we're starting off to a really wonderful audience start here with all these questions. And we have a question in front of our online participants um, and this one for... Um, Ms. Flynn, um, any advice on dealing with a high-energy pet for a cancer patient? 
Oh, I, I think this is the time to enlist the help of your friends and family. Um, maybe there's a next-door neighbor teenager or someone that um, would be willing to maybe provide some extra walks for your pets. Um, gosh, yeah, high-energy pets are, are, are wonderful when we're feeling well, but when we're not feeling so great, um, it, it's hard to harness that energy. Um, so that would that would be my advice, but I, I certainly open it up to others that might have um, some advice. Uh, this so, is Dr. Um, Nelson. Oh, yes, sorry. Yes, thank you. yes, please. <laughs> yeah, the other thing you can do are there are some natural calming things that you can purchase, like essence of box flower comes in different forms, or casein, or lavenders that can, um, especially if you need them to be calm at certain times of the day when maybe you're sleeping or resting, um, that you might want to look into that, and your veterinarian can help you with that. Well, that's excellent. Okay, it's fantastic. And Dr. Shapiro, do you want to add anything as well? I don't have any wisdom there. <laughs> and Ms. Tuzo, do you wish to add anything as well? <laughs> I I mean, just as a dog owner, I have my own suggestions of when, maybe when the weather isn't good and I can't take my dogs outside, um, I try and keep um, toys that might like, that I know that they would like and that would keep them busy. I know some people will use... Um, it's called a Kong, which it has it's um like a rubber um toy that's hollow on the inside and you can put it with some put some kind of treat like a little bit of peanut butter and if you put it in the freezer then that um you know, that can keep them busy for a while. Um, because it's it's kind of frozen and they have to kind of get all to the all the nooks and crannies and things. So I think sometimes it can at least keep um, a high energy dog um, distracted for a little while if if you need some time to rest. Well, this is quite the team. I, I thank you all. This is really wonderful, and I hope that that's helpful. Um, <laughs> so, so all these creative suggestions are really terrific and wonderful. Um, another question from one of our. Um, one of our online participants. Um, so my dogs and my dog and cats provide a great source of comfort for me. I love them dearly, and I am afraid that I will not be able to care for them as I do not as I do not further down the line, at least for a while. My two dogs like to walk outside once or twice a day. What should I do? So, uh, Miss Flynn, do you want to address this? Right. Um, so I, I really like the, uh, like your question. Um, it's a great question and um, that you're being proactive. You're thinking down the line. Um, I might be feeling okay right now, but what happens down the line when I might not be feeling well enough to take my dogs for a walk? Um, and there are lots of programs that will, um, I think it was Dr. Nelson that said uh, kind of like a, a nanny can come to your house for your pets and help take care of them um, when you're not able to. So there are, are programs across the country um, I'm sorry, I'm based out of the United States, but I would think internationally there are programs um, around there that would be able to to help assist if maybe um, you, you know your your family members are working during the day and that's when your dog um, perhaps needs to go out. Your dogs need to go out. Um, so again, I would I would open up to other panel members what they might suggest. And Dr. Nelson. Um, many of the humane groups will have um, foster programs that can help too. 
so I would contact your local humane group, uh, either ASPCA or the um, humane societies. There's one in every country. But um, here in Arizona, when people are deployed overseas or when they're undergoing hospitalization for different ailments, you can place your pet in a foster home, and then when you get better, you can get them back. So if it comes to the point where you're really struggling, that's an option. You do not have to give up your pet. But otherwise, um, you know, just finding a good pet nanny and having a couple of them, most people are pretty helpful when they know that you have cancer. At least I found that when I was bald. Everyone was opening the doors. It was so nice to me. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it's kind of a shame we aren't like that all the time. But I know that, like, for my clients, Sometimes they have long chemotherapy sessions and they're worried about their pets, so I let them drop off at my clinic at no charge and hang out with us for the day, and then we take them out to go to the bathroom when they, and then they pick them up when they're done. So talk to your vet. They'll know about the resources in your area. Excellent. Does anyone else want to add anything? Okay. We have a question which I think is part of the question, which I think, Victoria, you are addressing about the – because someone um, – uh, so you can also use wee pads. Does anyone familiar with those, or can anyone describe what those are? I wonder if that was for the high-energy pet question. It was actually someone from the audience recommending it online. That's, this is Dr. Nelson. Those are a good um, option if the pets are trained to them. It's just a water-repellent surface on the back. It's like a garbage bag with a absorbent material on the top. It's kind of like a big diaper, you know, but it's flat. And you can train them to use wee-wee pads so you don't have to take them out. The problem with that is that um, you have the feces in the urine sitting there, so make sure it's well away from the patient who may be immunosuppressed. And then um, not all dogs will go on those. Some of them are, you know, strictly grass dogs or gravel dogs or whatever. So if you're thinking that might be something you want to do, you might have to start by taking the wee-wee pad out and putting it in the yard and letting them go on it and then kind of slowly transition it into the house. Excellent. Thank you. So there are no questions that this group does not have an answer to. It seems like this is great. Okay, another question from one of our online participants. Um, um, so, Ms. Lynn, if a patient is interested in getting a therapy dog, what's the best way to direct them to get a therapy dog? They do not currently have an animal. Oh, and uh, thank you for the question. Um, I'm going to have to defer it um, okay. because I, I don't know anything about therapy dogs um, except okay. on the, the very periphery. So thank you for the question. I wish I had the expertise to answer it. Dr. Nelson, is that something you could address? Sure. Um, you have to apply. Um, you can go to the, um, well, your, your uh, health care team should have resources for you on that. Um, it usually goes to your physician, and they can actually write scripts for it. And I know it sounds silly writing scripts for a dog, but they can do that. Um, there are many ways, many, unfortunately, because of the way the Internet is now, many people get therapy dog certificates through the mail for like 80 bucks, and their pets aren't really trained as therapy dogs. A real therapy dog will come through a long um, program, and they will be taught to turn on lights or pick up keys or do whatever you want. And the first thing to start with is very good obedience. I was flying in um, yesterday from Florida, and there was a bulldog sitting in the bar 
and it said therapy dog on his little jacket, but a person came up to him and he started to growl and bark. So he wasn't a serious therapy dog. So um, just, you know, which there are many, many reputable organizations that provide therapy dogs, and it depends on which type of therapy you would want. Um, if there, there can be like peanut sniffers um, for people who have severe peanut allergies. Um, there can be those who help people who are in wheelchairs pick up keys, like I said, turn off lights. Um, it just depends on what you're looking for, but um, yeah, just just talk to your healthcare team, and, and usually it's your physician who will write a script for it. So I should say that you're all at the end of the program. Um, you will all be getting an evaluation, but the evaluation also includes resources for you. So it's an evaluation, but also you get a, a lots of resources that might have been mentioned today. So we'll try to get a, um, some some resources on this. Also, um, we'll basically try to capture what Dr. Nelson has said. I'll speak to her, and we'll so that you can also get referred to places that that you know you can get. Um, the best um, information on this topic that you would need so we want to provide for you. Um, um, and now there is another a comment here. It's more of a comment, um, and I'm wondering if, uh, uh, Dr. Nelson, if you could comment that there are apps for dog walking. Is that? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, there, are apps, there are apps for dog, dog walking. Sure, there are little trackers you can put on collars and monitor their steps, just like for people. Um, so if you want to do that, you can definitely get a, get the little thing and attach it to their collar. And then um, there are also tracking devices if you have what we call a runner, you know, dogs that take off or sometimes cats, that you can pinpoint with satellites where they are and go collect them. <laughs> um, I found them not to be terribly accurate because they usually tell you within 100 yards. Well, that's a big area for a cat to find them, you know? So, but, yeah, there are definitely apps for that. Um, I think, depending on where you are, there might be apps like an Uber app where you can request someone to call and come and walk your dog, you know, kind of a um, spontaneous thing. And um, there are also programs where they will come and take your pet to appointments for you. You know, they're basically lift services for pets. So lots of different things. Um, Just to go back to the last question, too, if you contact the AKC, the American Kennel Club, um, a lot of they will know about reputable dog therapy programs. Otherwise, there is usserviceanimals.org, and they can provide um, some reputable sources for therapy dogs, too. Excellent. We'll get all that out to everybody so you'll be able to get that information. Um, that's really important um, for everybody to have. Um, and um, um, so we have a telephone question. Um, so, um, Sonia? Thank you. Our next question comes from Carl F. Your line is now open. Hi. Um, a, a lot of people, including myself, love sleeping with their animals. And in it, um, you've outlined certainly a lot of uh, things we can do to make sure that the animals are healthy and that you know we take care and wash hands. But would you recommend sleeping with animals when you're a cancer patient or are there any special precautions we need to consider if we choose to do that? Thank you. That's an excellent question. Dr. Shapiro, do you want to start with that? Sure. Um, I don't think there's 
a single answer to your question, I would say for the most part it's okay, but while you are sleeping, you depending on what kind of cancer treatment you may be receiving, if you're currently in treatment or what kind of surgery you might have had, you may, um, having a, an animal close to you could put pressure on part of the body or there may be more contact with uh, body fluids um, at, you know, that, that you, when you're not um, thinking about things. So you just need to be careful and perhaps think about where you are in your cancer treatment and, you know, run it by somebody in your healthcare team. But off the top of my head, I don't see why not. And um, Ms. Slim, do you want to comment on that as well? Sure. And so um, this is specific to um, our organization when our patients are receiving chemotherapy that is on an ambulatory pump that they might take home with them in a fanny pack or a backpack. And we've had a couple incidences where um, animals are, are sitting on the lap and um, we don't notice that they're chewing ever so slightly on the tubing with chemotherapy in it. And so um, what we have recommended, because we've had just a couple of occurrences like this, that um, we tell our pet owners to be extra careful when having, when you're receiving chemotherapy at the same time that your pet is on your lap with you, and also at night, that maybe during those couple days or maybe it's one day that they um, not sleep on, on the bed with you. Um, the same thing we tell our surgical patients that might have drains. Um, animals are curious, and they they might think that, um, you know, a drain or a, or some tubing um, or maybe some sort of catheter that might be um, in your chest is a toy. Um, and so we've had both cats and dogs uh, that have gotten some of our patients um, into trouble because they've thought it was a toy. So you know your pet best, but you know your pet best. Um, but I would just say be extra cautious when you have um, when you're actively receiving chemotherapy, maybe through an infusion line, um, and you're at home. Excellent. And Dr. Nelson, do you want to comment as well? Yes, I uh, I totally agree. Um, I do not recommend having the pets with you or on your bed when you're receiving IV infusions. I just think it's um, dangerous. Uh, I have you know I have pets on fluids here when they're recovering from surgery, and even with us watching them, they can chew through a line very quickly. They don't even mean to, but if it gets caught around their leg or whatever. So I would recommend if you're getting infusions not to have them um, around the area. And I know um, in many hospitals, when I was receiving chemotherapy, the um, the dogs who were there for protection work for services for the ER, they would come up to visit me because, of course, veterinarian in the hospital would get free <laughs> advice, right? <laughs> so, um, But they had a strict policy about not letting those dogs get up in bed with me, which was great. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend, I think sleeping with you is great when you're not hooked up to anything, but you don't want an accident where the tubing might strangle your pet, and if you're sleeping deeply, you might not realize it. Excellent. Um, these are really, um, they're excellent questions, and they're also, um, actually, thank you all as speakers for addressing them so fully. Um, and we do have a question. Um, um, so this probably for Dr. Nelson. What can I do to prepare for an emergency where I can't take care of my cat or dog? Um, are there people who are willing to watch them temporarily? 
yes, I, I just said a little bit, but contact your local um, shelter group because most of them will have some sort of a foster program in place, and the fosters usually pick up the bills for you know feeding and taking care of them while you're hospitalized. Um, otherwise, talk to your veterinarians too because you know sometimes we kind of make room for additional campers <laughs> to help them out. But um, yeah, it's important to have those plate those resources in place ahead of time and I would also have a couple of options you know just don't don't be depending on just one pet sitter because um, they might get busy or they might have an emergency so have a couple lined up um, just so that you won't be stressed about it because we want to do everything possible to decrease your stress when you're going through your therapy. And interesting this is more of a comment from somebody one of our online participants um, suggesting that a portal be um, developed, um, creating a section um, on a website for potential volunteers to come and walk pets or for those who need it, some sort of portal where a volunteer um, and person in need of walking can connect. Does anything like that exist? Um, do you know of, anyone know of that existing at the current time? Uh, it's Dr. Nelson, I don't, but I think that's a great idea. Okay. Yeah, I think that's awesome. You can say it started here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, yeah. One. <laughs> that's wonderful. Someone yeah. suggested that. Um, yeah, this, this is Victoria. I, um, yes. You know, we have the volunteers that from American Cancer Society that drive people to their appointments, so I'm sure that there could be a way to organize that type of volunteer system as well. It would be wonderful. That would be a great idea. Um, um, this is fantastic. Um, and we have another question from one of our online participants. Um, so do I have to give up, and this is the question, um, for, um, for Dr. Nelson. Do I have to give up my dog? She brings me so much joy, but my daughter says that my dog may pass an infection to me. My daughter has offered to watch my dog, but I'd rather have him by my side. Do you want to start with that question? That probably comes up a lot uh, for you, Dr. Nelson, and probably Dr. Shapira. But everyone will be on this one, but I thought I'd start with you on this one. Yes, um, I was told that by my team when I was diagnosed because I was going through a very, very brutal chemotherapy, and I would go for weeks with no white blood cells. So I was told by my team, too, that probably it would be best if all the animals were removed from my house, and that would have killed me. <laughs> so I really don't think you do have to transition your pet out of your home. I just think you have to follow some of the precautions that we talked about, um, washing carefully. And soap and water is the best, as was uh, mentioned, and at least a three-minute, you know, washing. And I would say keep your a little watch there because three minutes is a long time. <laughs> you think you're doing it a long time, but when I started having to time it when I was doing this, oh, my goodness, I realized I was only really washing for about 30 to 45 seconds. So, um, yeah, make sure you do really wash your hands. And, um, you know, use common sense, be very clean, but I do think having your pet there is a big help. Um, and, no, I, I don't think you need to take them unless there are days where you're being hospitalized or really feeling bad. But, no, I had pets the whole time around me, even when I had no white blood cells. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Dr. Shapiro, do you want to add to that? Just just um, add to this idea that um, it requires some planning and coordination 
it may be good to check um, with the healthcare team. It may be good to have a backup plan for the sake of the pet's well-being. And then, of course, maintain all of these hygiene protocols that have been discussed before. So, um, you know, the, I think that it just requires a degree of, of planning that um, that many people may not sort of think about. But once you have that in place, then I, I also don't see why you would want to make a change in your household just at the time when you need the sense of normalcy and you need the comfort that you get from those pets. So thank you. And um, Ms. Flynn, do you want to add anything? Oh, I have nothing to add. I think Dr. Nelson (laughs) and Dr. Shapira said it just so well. I I would also advocate keep your pet at home um, with you if possible. Excellent. And Ms. Huzar, do you want to add anything as well? No, no, I totally agree. (laughs) All right. So we have one question, another um, telephone question, um, Sonia. Thank you. Our next question comes from Shaka B. Your line is now open. Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for this seminar. It's really informative. I am a lung uh, cancer survivor, and I get a lot of PET scans or sometimes CAT scan. So I was, and I have a ferret. It's a very tiny one. I was wondering... Do I have to stay away from ferret for how long or when I have my CT scan? Okay, thank you for your question. That's an interesting question. Um, So, Dr. Shapir, could you address that one? Let me send that to Dr. Nelson. Okay, Dr. Nelson. (laughs) (laughs) This is so wonderful. Dr. Nelson, (laughs) could you address that? Yeah, um, it depends if you have contrast or not. The regular CTs, as I understand, the radiation is going through your body and they're imaging it, but there really isn't that much afterwards once you're done. But anything where they're injecting you with a contrast material that might be radioactive, like in the PET scans, they're giving you um, a sugar molecule that has a little tagged um, radioactive material on it, and that's what they're looking at in the scan. So... I would ask whenever you're having any kind of scan, is there anything radioactive? And if so, then you need to stay away from your ferret, um, especially for at least six hours. But other after that, then you sh- otherwise, as long as it's just radiation that it's only on when the machine's on, you should be okay. Um, and ferrets, I really like them. Um, they're a lot of fun. And just remember to always when they're sleeping, don't just go touch them because they like to bite then if you wake them out of a deep sleep. Be sure you jar the cage a little bit and kind of wake them up slowly because I always say they're grumpy waker-uppers. <laughs> and thank you. And uh, I hope that helps, Ashley. And uh, why don't you this our late, last late-breaking call um, question. Um, and um, uh, I'm gonna, I guess Dr. Shapiro, let's try you for this one. Are pets allowed to visit their owners in the hospital? You see it in the movies all the time, but how realistic <laughs> this really is? Um, do you need to make special arrangements ahead of time? So. Absolutely. Um, probably not very realistic, except um, under very extenuating circumstances. So certainly it's not something that you can improvise. I I have I don't really know what the proper protocol is, but I would not try to just walk in the door with a pet. Um so yes. Needs 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 a needs a protocol. So and Ms. Lynn, do you want to add to that as well? 
Sure. I, I would uh, agree with Dr. Shapira that it does need some planning. Um, it does happen, um, not just in the movies, um, but it is under extenuating circumstances. And so we um, first um, hope that you can go home um, and visit your pet. Um, but we know there are times, perhaps with hospice, perhaps very long extended hospitalizations, that um, you need the support of your pet and that um, it helps your recovery being able to see and pet your pet. Um, but it does require planning. Um, and I can only comment on our institution um, and that we require that your pet be seen by a veterinarian and um, have a bath and go through kind of a checklist um, to make sure that your animal isn't sick um, or feeling unwell, um, how we can reduce the stress of bringing your animal into a hospital, um, which, as you can imagine, it's stressful for us as humans, let alone as a pet who's not understanding, gosh, um, it might be stressful enough going to a veterinarian's office. Now I'm in this big hospital. Um, so we have done it um, where we try and bring the person to the pet in a vehicle that they're familiar with. Um, but again, um, there are cases where we, um, on rare occasions, have brought the pet into the hospital. But it does require your healthcare team to be aware of and supportive of and um, the assistance of your veterinarian sometimes. So ask your healthcare team um, what they think about that um, and how they can help you um, get that uh, to be a reality. And our medical social workers have been um, instrumental in helping us with this. So, Dr. Um uh, Dr. Nelson, do you want to comment as well? I think it's uh, related to the institution because when I was hospitalized, I was told I could bring my pets up, but they had to pass a behavioral inspection by the security teams that were the dog handlers, and as was stated, they had to have a certificate from their veterinarian that they were healthy and current on all their vaccines. And then you might want to look at the protocols for the therapy dogs that actually work the hospitals because usually it's very similar to that. But most of the time there's a bathe before you go in, and then they have to have fecal checks every six months, current on their vaccinations. And then because of the risk of the pet catching like C. diff or MRSA or something, um, I recommend bathing them on the way out too, I like in – in some of the isolation facilities, they say shower in, shower out, and that's what I say for the dogs, too. But I think it really depends on the institution, so just check with them and see what their requirements are. And Ms. Puzo, do you want to add as well? No, I don't have anything. Okay. Well, I have to say this has been an extraordinary call. It, it's not our last on this topic. It's um, the first we've ever done on this topic, but it is not the last. I actually... I particularly want to call out to um, um, our supporters of this program, um, the Patricia A. O'Callaghan Animal Care Foundation for their support of this program, and also um, for the vision of this program from our CEO, Trish um, Goldsmith, who actually it was really her idea to kind of put this program together, and we have had such an amazing group of speakers today. Now, I want to let you all know that I know there are many more questions in queue, and so the question is, how do you get your questions answered? So, of course, we have been, you probably heard a theme throughout this program, and that theme has been to clearly speak to your um, oncologist, to your veterinarian, to your healthcare providers, to really work 
with that team. You've had a team today with, with medical social or oncology social workers to work with the people who have really spoken on the team today in your in your world. Um, that they really need to work together. This is a collaborative effort by everyone, and so I very much encourage you to do that. Your healthcare team obviously know you the best, and the veterinarian knows you and your pet the very best. Um, and your oncologist knows your situation the best, an oncology nurse, an oncology social worker, so that's important. Um, the other thing I often suggest, um, we've heard about the American Cancer Society as a resource to contact. You'll be getting information about that resource and the National Cancer Institute as well because they also have tremendous resources and they do have something called a live chat feature on their website where you can post a question and that's particularly helpful to people internationally as well as the United States. But most importantly, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel alone in coping with um, any question you may have about your pet, about your cancer, um, about your coping. Um, you now know that you can contact Cancer Care. Our oncology social workers are here to answer your questions. Um, and you can call us at our 100 number or you can visit our website. And um, I want to thank you all for your participation today. Stay tuned because you'll be getting all this information in, in your evaluation form with all the resources. You've probably gotten them ahead of time already as well, but you'll get them again. And again, I want to thank you all for being on the call today. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for part your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.